And this is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 423, December 8, 1998. This evening I have with me Douglas Murray and Mark Rushdoony, and Andrew Sandlin is absent. He has gone to Costa Rica for eight days for some meetings there. We have a very fine letter from Susan Lofel in uh, Nebraska. She has written us some outstanding questions. And this one is uh, no less so than the others. Now, the first part of her letter says, could the Easy Chair Assembly at some time discuss the question of Christian pacifism. It seems to me that this view is generally linked to a concept of radical separation. What is the history of this belief in the church? Well, I would have to begin uh, by saying that you are a very perceptive uh, and highly intelligent person, Susan because that's exactly what uh, led to the conception of Christian pacifism, a radical separation between the church and the world. As a result, the radical Christian pacifism did not come in too early. Now, there are evidences of it here and there uh, fairly early in church history, but it is not the radical separation from the world that we find when we meet with pacifism much later on, uh, preceding and at the time of the Reformation, and in the Reformation since then. Strictly speaking, the pacifist groups are Anabaptist rather than uh, reformational. That is, they belong not to the Lutheran, Episcopalian, or Reformed and Presbyterian branches of the church, but are a part of the late medieval pietism, so that uh, properly to discuss the kind of uh, theologies that prevail in the Western world, we would have to say they are Roman Catholic, Protestant, and Anabaptists. The uh, groups that we think of as Baptists are half Protestant and half Anabaptist. The Anabaptists do believe in withdrawal from the world. Most of them are thoroughly pacifistic. We see them in this country in the Amish, in the Mennonites, and in several other smaller like groups. They separate from the world totally, from the world's schools, they have their own Christian schools. 
they do not marry outside of their church, so they are radically withdrawn from uh, not only the humanistic world, but the world of the church, the Protestant and Catholic churches. Now, what is involved in this concept of a radical separation? If you believe in radical separation, your hope is totally uh, in the church, not in the world, humanly speaking, that is. You don't look to a Christian state to accomplish anything. As a result, you will have nothing to do with the state and therefore you are pacifistic. There are pacifism, is derived from the fact that they despair of a state accomplishing anything. Now, at the time of the uh, Reformation, the Anabaptists seized power in two uh, city-states in Northern Europe. These they ruled totally they took over every function, the courts, the military, the various agencies of the state, and were totally ruthless in dealing with dissent. So they were not pacifistic in the sense that we think of pacifism, in that they uh, waged war and executed a number of people. However, when these groups were finally put down, the surviving Anabaptists decided that uh, a strong uh, state that was Anabaptist was virtually impossible. So with, they withdrew from politics to create a totally self-sufficient society, one in which the church provided all the functions of the state, in which the church provided the schools, and uh, the church, together with the family, ruled radically. So that uh, a radical separation does mark the pacifism of the Anabaptists. Now, within the Catholic and the uh, Protestant tradition, uh, the uh, pacifism is different. It is a pacifism inspired by a belief that uh, you're not going to change the world except by conversion, which of course all Protestants and Catholics would agree with. The point of departure is that because the world is uh, in a very clearly fallen estate, there is never any hope for the Anabaptists of converting it. For Protestants and Catholics, the task of the Christian Church is the conversion of the world, and therefore we cannot see the world 
with the kind of radical separation that the Anabaptists do. And by radical separation, I mean really beyond any hope of conversion. Just totally lost. When did you hear of anyone uh, being converted to the Mennonite or Amish faith? It doesn't happen. They are withdrawn. They govern themselves. They intermarry in their own circles. After a while, as now in Pennsylvania, this leads to inbreeding and genetic defects. So now they are tending to marry with other uh, uh, Mennonite or Amish groups, which are some distance away in other parts of the country or in Canada or, or wherever the case may be. So it's creating a counter uh, society because the belief is that the uh, world is lost hopelessly. We believe the world is lost, but not hopelessly. We believe that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. We believe that while we are in the world, but not of the world, we do have an influence on the world so that uh, we have an impact on the world for good. We do influence uh, the political parties, the public schools, and much, much more. So that uh, it is not a case of warfare in the Anabaptist sense of total irreconcilable differences, but of a group which needs Christ and we are there to offer an alternative and we are very ready to receive them. Now occasionally you do hear of uh, some Christian schools which will not accept uh, children from uh, non-Christian families. Uh, that indicates something of the uh, Anabaptist or Mennonite or Amish influence. That's their position. Uh, however, most do accept them, provided they meet the standards. I know one very fine uh, school system in an eastern city in New York State, Lutheran, would uh, accept children from non-Christian homes, but make clear the kind of teaching they would have, the chapel attendance that was required, and say that we will take your children if they will participate fully in all these activities without question. Whatever they may think at home, they are to keep at home, but they are not to try to propagandize our uh, Christian children. And with that, it works very, very successfully. So this is the background of the uh, uh, problem and the uh, rather radical separation 
which marks the Anabaptist heritage. Now, do you have any questions or anything to add to this? What Could you say something about the theology of the Amish? Most people only know the Amish by their, their you know, the outward characteristics of their subculture and what they don't um, do. Um, what is their theology? And where do they, I, I understand their elders are extremely powerful and, and they yes. sometimes dictate what is allowable and which is not different. Communities of Amish have different, slightly different rules according to what their elder uh, will allow and why uh, do they hold to such a strong view of um, the authority of their elders? Yes, uh, you're very right. Some of the groups, such as the Hutterites, H-U-T-T-E-R-I-T-E-S, in the Dakotas and in Canada, have a very uh, strong view of the power of the elders. They arrange marriages very commonly. They allocate uh, land for a young couple when it comes time to farm, when they're mature and marry. They buy up lands. Uh, now they have moved increasingly into Canada where they have bought up acreages and settled uh, colonies of their younger members on those lands. In fact, there is some prejudice in the, uh, some parts of the Plains states and in Canada against the uh, Hutterites and other Mennonite and Anabaptist groups because they are so successful in saving and buying up things. Now, uh, as far as uh, internal government is concerned, again, it depends on the men who are in charge. They rule. These Christian leaders, for example, in many parts of the United States, will have uh, rules against automobiles. They're still back in the horse and buggy age. And the reason for it is that uh, it's simpler living and cheaper li living. There is no inclination to go into debt. I know that uh, in this country, many, many of the colonies uh, have like rules. And as a result, they've been very successful in maintaining themselves. Whereas some colonies in the Midwest, uh, people who are fourth, fifth, sixth generation Mennonites are now losing the ancestral lands because they've gone in for tractors and harvesting equipment that costs a hundred, a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars. They mortgage the farms and uh, have lost their properties. And it's been quite traumatic in that area. In other areas, they're very strict about controlling their ability to uh, 
buy such equipment and will not allow them to go into heavy debt or even much debt or any and they are surviving very very ably there will be differences I know that uh, in some of the uh, areas of Central California and San Luis Obispo County and adjacent areas the Mennonites there are very strict but uh, they're not opposed to automobiles nor to guns a lot of uh, Mennonites never have any guns but that's an area of a lot of wildlife like mountain lands and many of these Mennonites as ranchers uh, have become very uh, able sharpshooters because they have to keep some of the wildlife uh, down but in any case they hold to the same theology the same pacifism to the same radical separation from the world there are some exceptions in uh, areas such as Nebraska and Iowa among Mennonites whose uh, bishops have become unduly influenced by other churches through uh, councils of churches activities the various councils of churches became very friendly to the Mennonites in the 30s because of their pacifism and of the uh, sympathies that the liberals had for pacifism which at that time was predominantly in uh, modernist circles based on modernist premises unlike those of traditionally Mennonite groups or uh, uh, Anabaptist groups uh, as a result they were less interested in Christian schools now whether they have been able to weaken or destroy the uh, historic roots of the Mennonites I don't know I do know that some of the same modernism has been creeping in of late in some of the San Joaquin Valley colonies this could destroy the uh, Anabaptist groups in due time yes yes sir uh, do you know of any authoritative census of all of these various groups uh, over time that would show whether or not they are increasing in numbers or decreasing in numbers they are increasing numerically but it's purely an increase by birth rather than conversion they're not interested uh, much in converting peoples occasionally rather rarely they'll have someone but most of the converts tend to find the life too rigid the uh, 
Mennonites or Amish who leave their colonies usually come back. They find the world outside too unfriendly and competitive. There isn't the same helpfulness one towards another. You must realize that in some groups as the Hutterites, they live as it were in dormitories with uh, as it were apartments within the dormitories assigned to families and they all eat together in a common dining room with the pastor as the head of the group. Uh, there was an interesting film a few years ago which can probably be gained on rental. I think the title was Holy Matrimony, something like that. It an About a Canadian colony. This young man who leaves it and goes bad. Uh, and it was a fair and uh, sympathetic portrayal. I think there's an interesting parallel between What's the, that? There's an interesting parallel, uh, it seems to me, between the radical separation groups and other groups that tend to cloister themselves, such as uh, uh, you see over time uh, people that uh, uh, spend a life of crime that go to prison, often when they get out into society, they can't handle it. Yes. And they will go commit some petty crime just so that they can get back into jail because uh -huh. they feel protected there. Also, I noticed in the Army, uh, I spent a few years in the Army and, of course, couldn't wait to get out. But uh, I noticed that there were quite a few people who liked the protection, liked this enveloping protection that they felt of being part of a group with a purpose, being told what to do, the common meals, the common... Uh, uh, sleeping uh, barracks and so forth, and uh, and uh, many of them, when they uh, their time came to get out, they they wanted to stay in, and they'd stay in for 20 years and 30 years, and they had to be kicked out, kicking and screaming sometimes after 30 years. They didn't want to leave the protection of that group. Yeah. I just wonder if this is uh, something where. Uh, uh, you know, the people that that leave and then go back to these groups if they, uh, because they have been conditioned from, the, yes. from birth, uh, they're not able to live in the real, you know, in the outside world. Yes. In our world today, if you're having serious problems, it's hard to find anyone outside of your family uh, who is sympathetic or concerned. And even within your family, it can be that uh, many of the members uh, are not that uh, concerned. They may feel you have it coming to you, whatever trouble you're in. So uh, there is a world of difference. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when that close family-oriented uh, uh, aspect begins to diminish, dim diminish. These various groups 
do tend to crumble. The most notable of the Anabaptist groups, in fact, almost the very first in this country were the Quakers. It's hard for us to think of the Quakers in that sense because about all they have left of the old ways is a belief in pacifism. Theologically, they are virtually all modernists and uh, as a result have almost no ties with the other Anabaptist groups. Now, this isolates them from uh, other Anabaptist groups and leads them closer to the liberal modernist groups so that uh, they're very, very uh, unwilling to face up to their past and what it requires of them. The family and the church are very closely tied in Anabaptist groups. The family is not independent of the church, it's under the church, but it is very happy to be under it. It rules over its members in strict compliance to the rules of the church, and it thereby creates a very remarkable uh, society. A good many years ago, around 1960, I read an interesting work on uh, the mentally uh, retarded or disturbed among uh, the, the uh, Anabaptists. And this was uh, a study made of the colonies of the Hutterites in the Dakota and adjacent areas. What came through very clearly was that uh, they were phenomenally successful in uh, helping people who had mental problems, emotional disturbances, retardations. They made them into happy, functioning members of their society. And it was because it never occurred to them that they had any other choice. It never occurred to them that these people could be, uh, oh, put in an uh, institution or separated from others. And in Pennsylvania, they have found that uh, the acceptance of all such people is remarkably high. And uh, there's a tendency in some communities in Pennsylvania for them to, as a result of inbreeding, to come down with problems which shorten their life expectancy. So many of them will die as children. And uh, their death is an occasion of very real grief. They're loved like anyone else they are treated as uh, potential uh, 
people of heaven they're spoken to that way and the results are dramatically good well our time is up on this side of the tape so to continue uh, I'll read again what uh, Susan Lofold wrote I recently read a novel first published I think in 1940 about the Amish Rosanna of the Amish by Joseph W. Yoder one thing the Amish have succeeded in doing is maintaining and increasing by natural propagation their peculiar community I have read the admiring comments of Dr. Alan Carlson about the Amish. He believes that their avoidance of public schooling and also advanced schooling has been critical in their success in preserving their family-based society. He has come to a yet more radical conclusion that Western econo economies are now fundamentally suicidal. Quote, strong functional families are incompatible with a highly refined division of labor, unquote. The Family in America, August 1998. Well, that's a very important perspective, and Dr. Carlson is a very uh, astute observer. they have by natural propagation maintained and increased uh, their communities their avoidance of any kind of public education has been important and they have limited their concern with advanced schooling now, there are very few Mennonite uh, colleges one or two here and there across country and basically they're not too sound they tend to uh, merge with uh, modernism more than with reformed or Lutheran theology as a result they're experiments with higher education can be seen as suicidal. Now, Carlson has come to, as she says, a yet more radical conclusion that Western economies are now fundamentally suicidal. Is that true? Well, I think it is today. We have uh, done a great deal in recent years uh, to uh, break up uh, the family. For example, a doctor's son has a difficult time getting into a medical school because the scholarships, the uh, committees at the medical school are geared to avoiding uh, accepting the sons of doctors and since they have let us say 
two and three times as many applicants for entrance as they do have places, it's easy to make such an exclusion possible. Then after World War II, we had a policy that uh, was deliberate. We don't know why, but major corporations were moving men around every four and five years, their executives, so that you barely got settled in a community and you were transferred to another. And the idea was to prevent them from having roots in any particular area. It was also a test of allegiance to the corporation. Oh yes, you uh, broke up allegiance to uh, families and to churches or to a community by moving them around regularly. I was interested when after the war in the early 50s I left the Indian Reservation and came to a small city in California to a pastorate there almost at once to be told by a very fine man whom I wanted to uh, run for office in the church as an elder that uh, it would not be worth my while because he said I know that I'm going to be transferred every three to five years so that we do not accumulate anything in the home that uh, requires too much loyalty uh, such as certain antiques and we are ready to move and uh, buy whatever we need at the next place. Well, I found very quickly that that was commonplace. It was even dealt with in the uh, Wall Street Journal and in the 70s there were evidences that some men were beginning to rebel against that, refusing to be promoted. So we've had an anti-family, anti-basis in corporations since World War II. But uh, as, as far as the question goes, do you think that our Western economies are now fundamentally suicidal uh, in the sense that they are not agrarian-based and family-based and, and uh, in the Amish sense? Because I don't. Are you suggesting that the answer is to go back to the Amish uh, model? Because the Amish model doesn't allow really for reconstruction in in any ways. It, it's it's not a progressive or um, a dominion-oriented um, means of operation. Well. The great age of uh, corporate growth and power in the United States was from uh, before the Civil War to around 1950. And yet in that time it did not break up the old uh, family-based American society. In fact, it helped maintain it because it had no axe to grind. And now, 
the corporation no longer has a Christian concern. It used to be that you'd hear of uh, a big company calling in at their annual board meeting one of the local pastors to open the meeting with prayer and a short talk. Who ever hears of that nowadays? If it happens, I'm not aware of it. Why? Well, we have a totally different outlook and Christian faith is not a part of it. Granted, but I think what she, what I read her s suggesting here is, he says, I've read the admiring comments of Dar Dr. Alan Carlson about the Amish. He believes that their avoidance of public schooling and also advanced schooling has been critical in their success in preserving their family-based society. Well, they may or may not have preserved a family-based society. I've read that there's actually a lot of juvenile delinquency amongst the Amish. They go through quite a wild stage until they're held accountable and at some, then they have to either renounce the Amish way and they're shunned, which is not exactly a strong family <laughs> orientation, or they go into the Amish um, faith as, as adults and then and they stay in the Amish community. Um, I just don't see that as an alternative to um, our, I, I don't see that as a valid means of uh, a stable economy, the, the Amish way of life. I mean, as, as far as this is, there's some stability and they preserve the way of life, but their way of life is really based upon an authoritarian regime from the church. And I don't think that's really uh, a strong means of preserving. What they're preserving is rather an outward re regime that's enforced um, upon them and upon threat of being shunned and leaving the life they've yes. really known. So it, it seems to me it's almost like the, the military regime. Yes. Things work well in the military if you follow orders. If you don't follow orders, you're kicked out or you're disciplined severely. Um, it has its strengths and the military has to have that authoritarian regime in time of crisis because they have to have people who will follow orders. I just don't see the Amish means as the proper alternative to the problems with our labor. Okay. I would agree. Uh, to illustrate, a good many years ago, I think it was the end of the 40s. I did some speaking across country and in the process I met this uh, Presbyterian pastor, a very able and successful man, who had an unusual background. He came from a long line of uh, Amish and uh, had been a pastor and he said, uh, I believe it was in Idaho, he said we had a summer camp for our young people and it was in the mountains, a very lovely area and he said uh, next to us or nearby was another summer camp uh, run by uh, Presbyterians. 
and at that time the Presbyterians in that area were still more or less reformed or evangelical. And uh, this man said, what shook me up was that in our uh, summer camp we had a continual problem with sex. Trouble with the boys and girls. We had to check their uh, uh, sleeping quarters every night, a time or two. And he said, uh, we'd wind up with uh, some unwanted pregnancies. And he said, talking to the uh, Presbyterian leaders of the campgrounds, and he said, this was one summer when I was in charge all summer long, I found they never had such a problem. And it shook me because I'd always looked down on uh, non-Mennonite, uh, non-Anabaptist uh, churches. And it began a change. He said, we had uh, created a situation where nobody broke with the church, no matter what they believed. It was a traditional sort of thing, not a personal faith. And uh, so he said, I finally broke, and he said, I've seen much more real Christianity uh, since then than I ever did all the years I was growing up. So I, I know Dr. Carson. I think he overstates the matter. But uh, the family-based society pretty much prevailed in the United States until after World War II. Most communities saw very, very few changes over the years. It was the same families and the same homes, the same farms, year in and year out. And with a low tax rate, they could stay there. So that uh, at this point, I would say uh, Dr. Carlson is not altogether right when he says strong functional families are incompatible with a highly refined division of labor. I, I think that's a serious overstatement. Well, his conclusion, I mean, taking into account that Western economies have all adopted uh, uh, abortion and uh, they've all forced women into the marketplace, into the workforce, um, if you kill the young and uh, you uh, force women in the market, into the marketplace and into the uh, workforce and uh, you tax people to the point where they're forced to have both parties uh, members of a family or uh, working, uh, it seems to me there's a point of diminishing returns out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, the birth rate drops and uh, you know, perhaps that's what he's referring to as far as being suicidal. I don't think that can be blamed so much on the division of labors as is our acceptance of a whole host of other 
ideas, including, well, for instance, high taxes alone that require working two incomes to maintain this standard of living. So it's a little materialism saying I have to maintain the standard of living, plus the government's high taxes, estate taxes, and so forth that, that robs each generation. Uh, there's a lot of other factors that can't be entirely laid at the foot of the whole concept of division of labor. I think you could have a, a you know Christian society with division of labor if we didn't have some of these other problems as well. We often fail to realize how while history always sees changes, rarely have we seen as many as in this century. All you have to do is to look at uh, things mechanical, the automobile coming in at the beginning of the century, then the airplane, and uh, we have moved to uh, computers, We've moved into highly uh, different forms of society, so much so that on television they have repeatedly referred to uh, traditional uh, Medicare. That phrase has been used repeatedly, traditional Medicare. A tradition, something that came in when I was over 20, it doesn't make sense. But uh, anything else is ancient history, it seems. So we cannot read the dramatic changes uh, backward to the point where the family was uh, being shattered long time ago. Some of our greatest technological advances happened from like the 1840s to um, the early part of the century when you went from the horse and buggy to the train, which was one of the greatest industrial revolutions in history because it allowed the mass transportation of, of large quantities of goods from one area to another to the, the automobile and, and the you know electronics. So. And a lot of what we have today is kind of a refinement of some of those transportation and electronic uh, uh, inventions. And, and that came about in the uh, uh, Industrial Revolution, came about when you did have strong families and, and a semblance of, you know, strong Christian faith with some problems. But uh, I think my point is I think you can have a division of labor in an industrial society uh, and even a technological society that is still Christian. And I don't think we should look back backwards to try to go back to the farm, you know, and live like the Amish and say that's, um, that's the way of the future. I think we can have uh, technology and an industry and uh, progress in that sense with uh, strong families. And we have to figure out how we can do that as a Christian subculture and hopefully eventually as a, as a Christian culture. I believe there is a strong revival of Christian family life. And all over the country, Christian families are coming together for regular reunions, for the holidays, and uh, 
this is remarkable in that it is first self-consciously Christian and second the society is paying no attention to what is happening now for example from Christmas to New Year's in our family all the children will be together here and fair percentage of the grandchildren. Well, it's interesting that no one has analyzed why the holidays are the highest travel days of the whole year. Yes. Thanksgiving, there's more people on air going somewhere on Thanksgiving or the day just prior than any other day of the year. Now, the majority of them must be making that much effort to put themselves through that uh, effort in order because they have a, a, a real driving need to get back to their roots, get yes. back to their family. Well, when you look at California, you find that uh, a sizable percentage of it, once you leave the coastal areas where the two or three big cities are, you are in an area of immigrants who come and settle there and who still have very strong uh, ties one to another. Uh, there is scarcely a, a group you will not find in some part of California in the smaller towns. They will be Swedish, they will be Armenian, they will be Hindu, they will be Germans, they will be Danish, uh, they're from all over the world. They still maintain their communities and their languages. Some instances will teach it. But nobody pays any attention to this. It's a forgotten aspect of California culture, but it's still a very determinative one. Well, I grew up in San Francisco, and one of the things you became aware of uh, in reading the papers down there continually there were people from the island cultures in the Pacific, the Tongans, yes. the Samoans, they would send the bright kids up here to go to school in mm -hmm. the San Francisco Bay Area. They couldn't stand it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had to leave after the first semester. Most of them just quit and said they could care less about the education. They were going back home because they could not stand to be separated from their families. Yes. Well, it is very interesting to note how the family is disregarded today. We're still a family-based society. There are more uh, parents providing uh, funds for their children's education than the federal government can do. Now that's an important fact. The family is still deeply involved in its children and grandchildren. But we've forgotten all of this. We have forgotten, for example, how even our big cities are uh, divided, really. The federal government has been fighting the idea of a ghetto, but whether it is Los Angeles, San Francisco, or New York and Boston, Philadelphia, there will be an Italian area, an Irish area, an Armenian area, a German area, all 
with deep, deep roots, with uh, churches that are oriented to a particular nationality. Michael Jones has written an excellent book about Cardinal Croc and Vatican II, in which he points out that uh, because the high churchman, beginning with Cardinal Croc, went overboard on integrationism and worked with the humanistic uh, housing uh, authority people to break up the old racially integrated neighborhoods, they contributed to the radical destruction of the Catholic Church in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, these are aspects of our current world we don't want to face. But there is a regrouping. In some areas, uh, churches that have been for generations uh, Catholic and Irish, French and Catholic, and so on and on, have fought to regain control of a local church when the church was doing everything to break it up and integrate it. The whole idea being, it is closer to a family orientation, and the families want a church in which they as families can thrive. Well, thank you for listening. God bless you, and we hope this discussion has been helpful to you.